Welcome to the Meta Lifeline Podcast. If this is your first time here, we're so excited to have you. My name is Juliana, one of the four hosts of our podcast, where we talk about gaps within the healthcare system, food insecurity, and the people it affects. In this episode, we are honored to have our founders join us to discuss what is Meta Lifeline. All right. Um, how are you guys doing so far? Nervous? First podcast? Excited? <laughs> I'm excited. So I guess the first thing that we can start off with is just like a little bit of introduction, like a, I guess a little bit of background on you guys individually. Mm-hmm. Dahlia, let you go first. Um, yeah, my name is Dahlia Hassan. Um, I don't know if names appear, but you'll see, you'll learn very quickly that me and Dina are sisters. Um, I'm in second year nursing at the University of Saskatchewan. Um, um, come from Ontario. Well, we live in Ontario, but we come from Egypt. We're immigrants. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It's, it's hard to answer. Who are you? What are you doing? We're still trying to figure it out. <laughs> I know. Like you get asked that so yeah. often. Yeah. Like you just default to like, what do you, what do you study? What do you do? You know? School university conversations. Like, what do you study? Like... What do you do? What year are you in? Yeah. So, um, yeah. Great. Uh, my name is Dina Hassan. Like Dahlia mentioned, we are sisters. I'm currently in my third year of nursing at the University of Ottawa. Um, besides co-founding Mental Life Fund with Dahlia, I'm very, very passionate about health equity and amplifying voices for people who are often marginalized. Um, I do research at Sick Kids, and aside from that, I am obsessed with Schitt's Creek on Netflix, uh, and that's my favorite, like, binge, like, comfort show, like, go-to, so I'll often watch that, and yeah, it's a little bit about me. Okay, okay, um, and you mentioned Meta Lifeline, which is why we're all here today. Um, can you give a little preamble, I guess, of what is Meta Lifeline? Yeah, Absolutely. So Meta Lifeline is an Ontario registered nonprofit. Um, so it's M-E-T-A dash Lifeline. So essentially what it is, is that it's Canada's very first food bank centered around chronic health conditions, um, mainly focusing on the intersection of those that are, that are low income living or living in poverty and have type 2 diabetes and or other components of metabolic syndrome. Um, So for those of you that don't know, so metabolic syndrome uh, is a cluster of risk factors that kind of accelerate your risk of getting cardiovascular disease, um, atherosclerosis, heart attacks, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And those components include high blood sugar or diabetes, um, high blood pressure, high blood uh, triglycerides, which, you know, is a type of fat, um, low levels of HDLs, which is the healthy kind of cholesterol that we want. So low levels of that and obesity. So we focus, um, on type two diabetics, those with high blood, uh, pressure, and then those with, um, bad cholesterol. Um, so that's kind of the individuals that we focus on at Meta Lifeline. Before I go more into it, uh, Dahlia, did you want to add on to anything I mentioned? 
Yeah, just to say like the three that we focus on, what we like to call the metabolic trifecta, which is high blood pressure, cholesterol, and type 2 diabetes, these are some of the most common health, chronic health conditions. Like you know at least one person in your family, a friend, an aunt, a grandparent, a cousin who has one or more. Typically, it's more than one of these conditions, right? Because it's... um. I mean, we could talk about it more in depth as the conversation goes on, but uh, it's it's a lifestyle condition. And so once you get one, it's very easy for you to get another one and more. And sort of like that, you kind of hit all points of that triangle and all points of that metabolic um, syndrome that Dina discussed. Um, it's kind of a snowball effect, but I'll, I'll pass to Dina. Yeah, so essentially what the gap was is that those that are low-income living or poverty living often experience food insecurity, so they often rely on food banks um, to fulfill those food needs. But food banks traditionally uh, prefer like quantity over quality because the main point was kind of alleviating hunger and making sure people have food in general and not go hungry. Um, and then often those types of foods consisted of high, highly processed carbohydrates, highly processed meats. Um, and if you go to a food bank, you'll see, you know, those like sugary, like cereals that have like 100 grams of sugar in it. You know, you'll see your white pastas, you'll see your granola bars. Um, it's very rare that you'll find um, healthy, whole, nutritious food. So um, the gap exists where those that rely on these food banks are not getting the food that they need, um, and it actually worsens their health conditions. And that is why there is such a strong association between those that are low-income living or poverty living and diabetes or metabolic syndrome. It is like crazy the amount of literature that exists out there and yet nobody's addressing this gap at a community level so meta lifeline essentially is bridging that gap we are canada's very first food bank centered around chronic health conditions um this is something that i believe every community needs not just across canada but globally so yeah that's a little spiel from meta lifeline for now <laughs> No, that's that's amazing, honestly. And the fact that you mentioned that this is like the first time anyone's yeah. ever done something like this is insane. Like that's insane. Like you said, the, the gap is so prevalent. Yeah. 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 Well, I was kind of just wondering then what inspired you guys upon seeing the gap, I guess. What made you take that next step of no, this is something that I do wanna address? Yeah, absolutely. Is that okay if I go ahead and answer that, Dolly? Or do you yeah, wanna Yeah, go for it. Um, so essentially, Dahlia mentioned that we're Egyptian immigrants, right? So me, Dahlia, and we have two other sisters. So the four of us and our mom immigrated to Canada and we grew up struggling, essentially. Uh, my mom did not speak English very well and she struggled to find jobs. Um, she worked odd jobs in factories, warehouses. She did some babysitting at some point. Um, and we relied on food banks growing up. 
naturally. Um, so this was something that I've seen firsthand, uh, me and my sisters and my mom. And this was something that I felt like needs to be addressed and needs to be fulfilled. Um, because later on, which was a couple of years ago, my mom developed metabolic syndrome. <laughs> so um, that's kind of how uh, Meta Lifeline came to be and why I feel very strongly towards it um because it hits home so yeah Dai, did you want to add on to that yeah it's like dina said it's our lived experience you know we what we study in school because a lot of we we both are in the health sciences a lot of our members a lot of our team is in the health sciences and we study this all throughout our degrees which is that social determinants of health, you know, the link between poverty, income, and health, um, the link between the environment that you live in and your health long-term, we got to see that play out in real time with our mom. She's the archetype of the person that we want to serve, the communities that we want to serve, you know, um, because as hard as she tried, and this, you know, this is for, I think, what, we've been here 16 years, Dina? Yeah, 2004, I think, um, you know, we got to see the origin of the development of these chronic conditions within her, and we got to see the factors at play in real time, and we thought, well, our family isn't the only one, because there's so many, this is actually the majority, this is not the acceptance majority, you know, the stats for themselves, yeah. right, I think the one that we like to we like to throw out me and Dina when we talk about this issue is, you know, it's 90%, right? It's 90% of people that live with diabetes um, are type 2 diabetics. And type 2 diabetes, for those who don't know, is the type of diabetes that's developed. So type 1 is uh, genetic, you're born with it, um, and type 2 is one that can be developed. Um, and so um, when you talk about the prevalence of diabetes in Canada, um, you know, it's it's a huge issue. But then you take a look at the numbers, you take a closer look at the fact that it's 90% that actually just developed this disease. And then you take a look at that 90%. And I think it's 70%, Dina. Yeah, so just to just to clarify, just to clarify, so out of all the diabetes cases, it's 95 that are type 2. 95. So it's 95%. Yeah. And a majority of type 2 diabetics are low income. So that's just one stat. But if you take a look at the body of research that's been going over the last two decades, you'll see similar numbers. You'll see a trend. Um, And so, you know, we've seen a paradigm shift over the last decades of uh, organizations, entities, institutions. Um, food banks themselves even moving towards a more holistic model for health, taking a look at the individual and how they live rather than just um, uh, rather than just looking at what's going on physiologically, medically, um, because we are now gaining a more in-depth understanding of how exactly our environment affects our health. But, you know, change is slow and it's gradual. And we believe that this is such a gap that's growing and widening and we feel like well why can't we why isn't there anything that exists it doesn't even the food bank why isn't there an institution a clinic a program a policy a body of policies that target this gap because it's growing and um 
it's an issue that's only growing larger by the decades and we're not seeing any sort of significant reform happening and so we want to start like Tina said at the community level but you know eventually the long-term vision is systematic um with change yeah, yeah. No, like the fact that you you kind of saw your, you saw your mom as like that initial target ground of why we want why you guys wanted to start this program is honestly so touching. Like I feel like in a lot of immigrant communities, like things like diabetes, like hypertension, things like that. That's not we don't even think of it as a I guess a problem. It's more like it's just something you do. Like it's something that you you'll yeah. eventually get it. Yeah, <laughs> you just live yeah. with it. Yeah, so yeah, absolutely. It's it's amazing that you guys are like actually addressing the issue, you know, and and like uh, and actually building something from it, right? Um, okay, so we talked uh, quite a bit about the community that we wanted to target, and obviously this is a community that is everywhere, widespread in Canada. However, where is our organization? Where is I guess the home base for now? Hmm. Hmm. So ideally, we would like the first Meta Lifeline pilot program to happen in Brampton South. Um, obviously, we're going to start in the GTA, but specifically Brampton South, um, mainly because we found that a lot of the people that we do want to target reside in Brampton South. Me and Dahlia grew up in social housing. It's called Peel Living in Brampton. And you'll find that there's a lot of Peel Living, like social housing buildings within Brampton South. Um, there's like two down the street here, like four up the street there. Um, so we figure that that's kind of where our community resides. Um, but that might be kind of tricky because when it comes to procuring warehouse space, um, there might be limited availability and obviously we're open to kind of doing our pilot program um, elsewhere. Ideally, we want to serve the community closest. Um, but yeah. Piggybacking off of that, like nothing like this has ever been done before. There must have been some challenging set of hurdles. Um, so I guess from the beginning of Meta Lifeline, what was the hardest thing that you guys had to overcome? And I guess, how did you get past that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a really great question. So when it came to the inception of Meta Lifeline, it was mainly me that was like very adamant on like starting it and incorporating it. There were some bumps, uh, not huge ones, but the first one that I would say would be incorporating something as a nonprofit within Ontario was a lot. Um, just because it's a lot of paperwork and then you have to pay to incorporate. So that was a small little hurdle. Um, but one of the biggest ones I would say up until today would be establishing ourselves as an entity, like a credible entity within the community. While we know that this is a huge gap and a problem when we reach out to companies or institutions for a partnership um, or, you know, real estate companies for, like, warehouse space. Right. Um, right. It's usually a lot of dead ends or, like, no responses because we're new, right? Like, who are we, right? So that's kind of been one of the main challenges. But because this gap is so huge and because me and Dahlia and our entire team, like, we have a great team of passionate volunteers, um, because we're so passionate 
we're going to persevere regardless of how hard things get and th- things will get hard, but essentially we're going to, we're going to reach our end goal and hopefully achieve what we want to achieve. Dai, do you want to add on? Um, yeah. Yeah. Like that question is interesting because I don't know. I feel like the work is cut out for us, but like Dina said, I think the hardest thing is just to get, to get that momentum going. Uh, we're in that build phase right now very much. We're laying down the tracks. Um, uh, we're laying down that foundation to be able to grow and scale. Um, but it's that momentum that's really hard at first. But we're going to keep pushing. We're going to keep pushing, as said. And eventually, it's going to be a lot easier to, to keep the ball rolling. Yeah, there is power in community and people coming together to support a cause. Um, and that'll continue to drive us forward. So hopefully we'll get there. I'm sure we will, but we'll see what happens. And like you guys mentioned, this is such a big need that there's no way mm-hmm. that like there's no way that there's this no can way. there's yeah, no way yeah, essentially. And I say this all the time, not even just to like manifest, but I say this because I firmly believe it and I say it all the time. It's not a matter of if it's going to happen. It's when at this point, because there's no, I don't see a world or a community without Meta Lifeline. Like I truly, I truly cannot vision the world without it. I think this is going to be something that's going to blow up because once people recognize what we do and who we are, it'll be like, wow, like why didn't we do this before? Even when we were interviewing people to onboard, they were like, oh my goodness, like, why wasn't this established before? Like, I can't believe this wasn't a thing before. So, I mean, Dina just, like, but if, it's not an if, it's a when, Dina says this all. I mean, she just said it last night during our... I say it every day. (laughs) Yeah, it really drives the point home. Like, with all... All that's needed is our dedication and when I say our, yeah. I mean our entire team. And that's why we're so thankful. Like we're mm-hmm. so grateful and we're so blessed to have such an amazing group behind us um, at propping this thing up because it'll, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be time and it's going to be dedication and it's going to be a matter of like Dina says, it's not if it's a when, so. And I think that organization hits a lot of, hits home to a lot of the team members as well. You know, when attending the meetings and stuff like this, there's a reason why we're backing yeah. you guys, you know? Like, there's a reason why we're here and, like, putting in the work, putting in the hours. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, yeah. like, we feel passionately <laughs> we about this project as well, you know? Like, especially, like, when I did my my, my volunteer interview with you guys, I, I felt it, you know? Like you guys mentioned, the fact that this hasn't been a thing mm-hmm. is crazy. Like um, the amount of people that that have like diabetes and hypertension, and also Canada has a huge immigrant population. The fact, yeah, huge. The fact that it's like yeah. that aspect, that gap, I guess, is being completely ignored. Not like not just in the food bank, but like like you guys said, like in in uh, clinics and everything as well. Like it's. It's definitely mm-hmm. something that needs to be addressed. And so 
if we if we if we look at healthcare, like like you said, Joanna, it's part of every immigrant family's story. You know, it's an eventuality, like we said, and I think it's just such a it's just become the norm that I think um, I think that's why we can take a look at the systems that serve us and see why they've almost become complacent in this growing trend. Because when we take a look at healthcare as an ecosystem, right, and the different moving parts, we have public health, we have policymakers, we have pharma, we have, um, you know, the walk-in clinics, the primary physicians, the nurses, the patient, the caregivers. Um, it's almost like an assembly line, right? Because the current food bank models don't serve the population that we're trying to target. Um, because it's the people and the families and the individuals that rely on food banks, either partially or fully, um, that are not getting fresh, healthy, whole food because budgets are tight. You know, when budgets are tight, you can't purchase fruits and vegetables and, you know, gluten-free pasta, which some people need for their uh, healthcare conditions um, every week. And so you're seeing that over years, over decades, you get to the point where it's disease development. And so that's when you enter into the healthcare ecosystem, you're up, you're in the um, doctor's office, you get that diagnosis, you get those tests done. Um, and you get a prescription for medication that mitigates the symptoms. But we're not taking a look at what's driving the development. We're not taking a look at what's driving progression. And so the, a lot of this issue is preventable. I think that's why we're so like, what, why isn't anything being done? Because so much of this is preventable. So much of, like, there's, I think, 6 million Canadians right now that are living with pre-diabetes. But half of those half of that um, population will go on to develop diabetes because there isn't any meaningful, sustainable um, intervention that's occurring at the systematic level. Um, unless the individual uh, is able to take control of their health and take, health, take matters into their own hands, uh, then they're mm -hmm. continuing on to a trajectory that almost guarantees them cardiovascular disease and eventually death. And so the problem is that people who don't have the resources to take their health into their own hands, they're worrying about providing for their family, they're um, on their feet 12 hours a day, they, they just don't have the resources, they don't have the time, they don't have the money to be able to do that. Yeah, just to add on to what Daya said, um, like, everything, it's not even like, just based on our lived experiences and the literature. It's also been validated by the community. So I incorporated Meta Lifeline in August of 2020 um, in order to kind of get feedback from the community, from stakeholders, like people that are actually experiencing this problem. Um, aside from consulting our mom, obviously, I had joined this Facebook page. I think it was like type 2 diabetes food support across Canada, something like that. And I think it had roughly like 6,000 people in it. So I posed a couple of questions. I was like, if you're low income living or poverty living or don't have like sufficient money, how are you sustaining your health? How are you sustaining your uh, diabetes? And then the follow up question was, 
exactly what kinds of foods are you eating? That's all I asked, okay? And you would not believe the overwhelming amount of people that responded to that post. I wish I took a screenshot. Uh, maybe if I go back, I can try to find it. But it was unbelievable. It was like, I just don't eat. I eat shit that is not, sorry, excuse my language. I eat shit that's like, I know it's not good for me, but I don't have an option. I don't have an alternative. Like, you will not believe the amount of people that have said that under this post. It was heartbreaking, but it's like, that's the reality. What are we going to do about it? What are we going to do? So, yeah. And I think that's what the current framework of what food banks are, what the current framework of the food banks right now currently have is as long as there's food, yeah. that's it. Like, it's fine. Yeah. 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 And, yeah and Daya had mentioned... Sorry, Dai had mentioned um, that she's seen or she thinks like we've seen a shift within the last decade into more like holistic food. I wouldn't even say a decade. I would probably mm -hmm. say the last five yeah. years or less. Future Toronto, Feeding Scarborough are really great examples of nonprofits that are food banks. Well, food share, I wouldn't say it's a food bank. It's more so uh, selling food boxes of like healthy produce at an affordable rate feeding scarborough is a food bank and they provide like healthy food fresh food um they have like community gardens community farms and they harvest from those farms so those are the two that i would say have kind of done that paradigm shift um but those are the two that i can think of from like the whole gta and it would probably be like less than five years is what i've seen like a shift in Dalia, you were going to say something earlier? We're just adding on to what Dina said, which is like some of the responses that she's seen and like the reality of, the reality for a lot of families, which is like, you know, I got to pick up McDonald's several times a week because I just don't have time to cook for me and my kids. So I'm eating that a couple times a week, even though my doctor says I can't be eating any junk food because of my high cholesterol and, and, and diabetes. Um, I was just going to go off, give more examples, but, you know, I think Dina drove the point home, but, you know. Well, we kind of talked a little bit earlier about, I guess, the end goal, but I want the audience and whoever's, of the, well, the audience, whoever's going to be listening to this podcast to clearly know what the end goal is, I guess, of Meta Lifeline, if you guys are able to explain it. Um. The long-term vision, really, well, Dina mentioned, like, we, we mentioned throughout uh, this conversation how widespread this issue is. So I think for us, really, um, it's not about serving a singular community. It's about serving all of Canada. It's about serving um, the BIPOC communities, the immigrant communities that exist all over Canada. Um, and having a metal lifeline in every major city, not even major city, every northern community, every uh, rural town, um, you know, because the need is so great. I think really that's what we see. But, you know, thinking more abstract, I think really, truly what we would want to work towards uh, making happen is for that gap to... Um, to start to narrow, you know, for us to 
be able to, if we're able to improve the health outcomes um, of just one individual at a time and have that mission just grow to as many people as possible, I think, I think at the end of the day, that will be Meta Lifeline's um, vision coming to life and coming to fruition. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. In addition to that, um, I'm really adamant on changing the schema of what a food bank is. Like, what is a food bank? What does it look like? Like, when you close your eyes and you think about a food bank, you think about what you've usually seen in movies or maybe, like, based on your own personal experience. Um, it's usually the kind of, like, canned foods, yeah. you know, like, dry pastas you know what I mean? Like craft dinner and all of that. Um, but I kind of want to, when people of the future think about food banks, I want them to think Meta Lifeline, essentially. Because if you are experiencing food insecurity to the point where you need to rely on a food bank, there's often chronic health conditions associated. Not even metabolic syndrome, like other conditions as well. Um so let's just change the way we think about food banks altogether. Like Meta Lifeline should be the definition of a food bank. That should be the new schema, like all across. Yeah, that's what Sorry, I'm, no, I'm like. Sorry, jump on because it's, it's not fair that one's income determines one's long term health. It's not fair that because budgets are tight, you can't walk in every week and purchase. Um, fresh fruits and vegetables and whole wheat grains and f- for your family and yourself. Um, so I think, if, like Dina said, if you're at a point where you're either partially or fully relying on a food bank, there's no reason why that food that you get from a food bank should be high calorie, um, low, yeah. nutrition, low nutrition. I think it should be just as healthy, just as nutritious, just as fresh as what you would get from a grocery store. Um, we want to be able to say that because right now income is, I think, if not one of the biggest predictor for health, I think we want to be able to change that. Um, yeah. Building off of that, I also, because you, um, Dahlia, you mentioned essentially there's so many things prior to getting that disease, like predeterminants of health. And then Dina, you also mentioned that you wanted every food bank to be modeled like mm-hmm. Meta Lifeline. Yeah. So I guess, what does that look like? Like what, what, like walking in, what does that, what does Meta Lifeline look like? And also like, what are the pillars mm-hmm. as well? Cause I think those two will tie, will, will tie sure. together. Yeah. So um, I guess we can begin by talking about, um, cause we talked a lot about the problem, right? And so what, what is the solution that we are collectively designing to build um, within these communities? Um, you know, we said first and foremost, like the question that we are asking is why this intersection of the population, which is low income and chronic health conditions, that intersection, right? That are that's historically and currently being underserved. They're not being served by current food bank models are not being served adequately by our healthcare ecosystem. Um, why don't they get access to fresh, healthy, nutritious, whole foods? And so that's our first pillar um, is whole foods access. 
Um, and we make that happen by partnering and collaborating with national, provincial, and local suppliers of whole food. There are many amazing nonprofits that operate that source whole foods from farms, from grocery stores. Um, uh, oftentimes, uh, it's built on the principle of uh, sourcing foods that are less than perfect brews, but are you know perfectly fine to consume. Um, and so that's how we'll be able to uh, source our whole foods um, to be stored and distributed from our food bank. The second pillar um, of the three main pillars that is the foundation of our program is education. Um, and not only are we seeing a gap in the type of food access that people have, we're seeing a gap in education as well. Um, because when we talk about the people that are Disproportion okay. when we're talking about the people who are disproportionately affected by common um, lifestyle conditions like type 2, like high blood pressure, like high cholesterol, um, when we get to the point of disease development and they walk into the doctor's office and they do the blood tests and they get that diagnosis and they get a prescription for some medications to alleviate their symptoms, a lot of times what they get as well from the primary healthcare physician is a conversation about their health. And in that conversation, usually the doctor will offer up some advice on, you know, try to exercise daily um, and try to eat your fruits and vegetables. Here are a few pamphlets. Here's some resources I can point you to, some programs in the area that you can um, access um, for some um, nutritional coaching, um, for some uh, education on your specific condition. But like Dina mentioned earlier in this conversation, a lot of this information is Eurocentric. It's based on the North American diet. And then the issue that presents itself is, well, for a lot of people that walk in, for a lot of families that are walking in that are getting diagnosed, this information is not relevant to them. They don't know how to work with this information and apply it to their own diet, to their own lifestyle. Um, you know, and so what happens is, you know, they're left kind of to fend for themselves, uh, to find the information on their own. Um, but the information that exists, I mean, it's kind of a wild, wild west, right? Like there's so much contradictory information when it comes to your, what you should eat, what health, what's healthy for you, what's not healthy for you, what you should con consume, you know, it's safe to eat this, it's not safe to eat that. Um, and so... You know, we want to be able to take the um, decades of research and information and studies and scientific articles that exist out there and distill it, condense it, and translate it into, you know, gradient level, uh, uh, into layman's terms, into language that anyone can understand and be able to put it in different languages so that you can take a, a meta lifeline type two diabetes package and give it to your mom. Uh, and it's in Arabic or it's in Hindu and she's able to read it and apply that information to her own cooking, to her own family life. Um, and so that's education. That's that education piece. And then the last pillar is support. Um, and the reason the reason why we thought this was so important and why we want to integrate it into our solution is because a lot of the times it goes back to 
the experience of a lot of people uh, when they do get diagnosed and they're being taken care of by the primary healthcare physician, a lot of times what those visits look like, um, it's very standardized, it's very general. Um, the information oftentimes is not entirely useful or relevant to the specific family or individual that's walking in because it's not personalized to their own health, to their own life. And so we want to be able to provide culturally inclusive one-on-one support in the form of a team of Meta Lifeline members that are present at every food bank that is able to, when people walk in, you know, as we're intaking people, sit down with each person that walks in and have a conversation with them about their health, you know, what are your health goals? What are the major challenges that are at play in your family life, in your um, health that's preventing you from being able to um, take better care of yourself? You know, what can we do? How can we work together in order to empower you to take control of your health long term? Um, and I think just being able to show up in that way, in that very simple um conversation with people allows them the space to be able to take a look, take inventory of their life, take inventory of the major um, hurdles um, that they have to overcome and know that there's a community that's backing them and there's a community there to, to support them on their journey to better health. So in summary, those are the three pillars. There's Whole Foods access, education, and one-on-one culturally in- inclusive personalized support. It's a question for clarification's sake. When you said for the last pillar, for the support aspect, you mentioned that being, um, we want to have a Meta Lifeline member at each food bank. Does that mean food bank that currently exists or like food banks that, like Meta Lifeline food banks specifically? Meta Lifeline uh, food banks. Yeah, we want to have a team, uh, a diverse team, uh, a team of members that speak different languages that come from different backgrounds, and so that we can have those conversations in the preferred language. You know, so that it's not a, a game of broken telephone, and you're not having to simplify the language for the sake of, um, you know, this being their second language. You know, yeah. And I have a follow-up question for Dina then. <laughs> so including the three pillars, what what is the vision? What is the vision? What do you see like when you walk into a meta lifeline? What do you see? Like what do I see like physically in the actual food bank or what do I see or like atmosphere what? You can do. You can do both. You can do both. Walk in. You look around. What are you looking at? What do you see? Walk in, and I see foods I can eat. <laughs> Mic drop. Literally, like you walk into a food bank, and you know you're a diabetic, and you have these chronic health conditions, and you see foods from your culture. You're like, hey. Here it is. And hey, these are help like they made recipes for me that are here at this food bank, ready to go, that I can take home with me. I have healthy foods I can access. I have volunteer members or members of Meta Lifeline present 
that are actually genuinely engaging with me, helping me out. I see... Yeah, I think that's what I would see. We, we, obviously we have to start small, but I think the, the, the dream would be for when people walk in is to see, um, you know, refrigerated units that contain fresh, oh, yeah. frozen fruits and vegetables and, aisles that are dedicated to each chronic health condition so maybe there's a diabetes aisle there's a high cholesterol safe foods aisle there's a you know an aisle dedicated to foods that are um, scientifically proven to uh, bring down your blood pressure um, culturally inclusive recipes from every background imaginable um, we want we want meta lifeline food banks to be rich in life and in the variety of foods that we're, we will be able to provide for people because, um, no, you know, you have to state out your long-term goals and what you see your vision as, you know, I think it's good for, for us. And it's also good for the people listening in because this is, this is going to happen. Mm-hmm. So just speaking yep. it out there already. Yep. Is, yeah. <laughs> and honestly, I'm happy to be on board. I'm, I'm sure everyone listening to this is like thinking, damn, <laughs> you know, I'm just like, where have you guys been? <laughs> Here I am. <laughs> <laughs> right. So essentially, um, do you guys have any closing statements, I guess, for any people who are currently listening to this right now? Hmm. If I could leave you with one thing, aside from everything I've said, and this is more so a general like statement, don't be afraid to disrupt systems. Be a status quo disruptor. Like think about our current system, whether it's like our healthcare system or any other system, and think about gaps. Like why is something the way that it is? Why does this disparity exist? What are we doing about it? And be like, don't be afraid to like disrupt that completely. I feel like that's what we're doing and I hope that we achieve it. Um, but that's what I would leave you guys with. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And there's power in numbers. There's power in community. I think if anyone watching this and they resonate with the story, they acknowledge the problem they say hey yeah i actually you know everyone on my mom's side has type 2 diabetes and high blood pressure and high cholesterol and that's just kind of the family kind of his that's just our story for our health is you know we're gonna grow up and because of the foods that we have access to and because uh of the fact that you know my mom works and my mom and dad works these types of jobs so they can't exercise because they don't have the time in the day um that's just going to be what it is we're going to grow up and my mom will likely or my mom and dad will likely die of cardiovascular disease and that's the story there and i think um if you're if you're being impacted by this or if you resonate with this um i would just want you 
to reach out, you know, and, and I think like, I think the team, we're just getting started, but I think everyone can bring something to the table. I mean, we're looking at, looking at our team now, it's such a diverse, amazing group of individuals and, um, the ideas that you guys bring to the table reflect that. And I think that um, in order for us to build a program that it's effective in its intent, we need to be able to take into account all perspectives and all lived experiences um, to be able to build something that's as accessible, as affordable, as widespread as possible. So if this is a mission um, that resonates with you, you know, reach out to us, reach out to us on our socials, um, and we can have a conversation, you know? Sounds good, you guys. Thank you so much for sitting down with me. Um, that was Dina and Dahlia from Meta Lifeline, our founders. Um, that is it for this episode. Thank you Thanks so much to for having us today. All right. Take care. Yes, of course. Bye. Bye.